0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Today, we are discussing the present and future of Midtown Manhattan, other major central business districts in the city, the city's office sector, and how the city's largest employers are approaching remote in office, and hybrid schedules for their employees, as well as things like COVID vaccine mandates and much more. Diving into the larger economic and business picture for New York City here and how Mayor Eric Adams is doing on these fronts and the issues that matter to the city's largest employers. I'm pleased to be joined for this conversation by Catherine Wild president and CEO of the Nonprofit Partnership for New York City, a position she's held since 2001. It's a leading business organization. The nonprofit partnership has more than 300 members, including business leaders and companies that employ more than 1 million New Yorkers, and its mission is to work with government and labor and other partners to build a stronger New York with a focus on the economy, of course, as well as education and Infrastructure. My conversation with Catherine Wilde of the Partnership for New York City in just one moment. If you've missed any of our recent reporting at Gotham Gazette, find it at GothamGazette.com. We've been covering a lot of issues related to New York State and city politics, as always, including most uh, recently this week here as we talk in uh, nearing the middle of May. We are refocused now that the state budget passed a few weeks ago on city budget season. And of course, a lot of what happens in the New York City budget is dependent on decisions out of Albany that now uh, have been finalized in the adopted state budget for the new fiscal year. So now it's on to Mayor Eric Adams and the New York City Council to proceed with their budget process and a new city budget due by the July 1st start of the city's Fiscal year, we've been focusing on some important city council hearings and some debates over things like uh, affordable housing, housing funding, sanitation services, and more. And of course, now in Albany, the legislative session that follows the budget has also begun, and there's just a few weeks of that session and some key issues that need to be decided by state government. So we're covering All sorts of those angles and topics at GothamGazette.com. And very briefly here on the show, if you missed any recent episodes of Max Politics, you can find them wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. We post them all there as well. In conjunction with this conversation with Catherine Wilde of the Partnership for New York City, I also just spoke this week with Jessica Lappin of the Downtown Alliance in a conversation very focused on lower Manhattan and what's happening there. Uh, it's it's recent past, it's present, it's future, a really interesting conversation there on Lower Manhattan with Jessica Lappin. And then I've had a bunch of other great conversations in recent weeks and months with uh, elected officials, advocates, and others. So you can find all those wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette site. I've had an interesting series of interviews interspersed there with new members of the New York City Council, especially those who are chairing some important hearings or caucuses. So check those all out. All right. Very good. Happy to be joined here by Catherine Wilde, president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City, leading business organization representing hundreds of business leaders and companies in the city that employ more than one million New Yorkers. Kathy Wilde, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Ben. Nice to be with you. So the Partnership for New York City just released uh, uh, the latest iteration of a survey of employers asking uh, big companies uh, in Manhattan, many of them uh, located with their offices in Midtown, either West or East, some in the financial district and, and some in other places about some of their uh, return to work policies, who is having uh, workers into the office, at what rates and so forth. Um, I can give some of the nitty gritty of some of the details of the numbers, but big picture, what's sort of standing out to you as a result of this survey of employers that you just completed?
1: Well, this is the latest we've been surveying quarterly since uh 2020, since April 2020, uh, the end of the lockdown, and uh, every survey we do, the expectation of when all the workers will be back in the office gets worse uh, substantially, and part of that is due to the COVID, uh, the fact that we had uh, sort of four false starts on reopening the city, and every time we had a a new strain and, and an upsurge in cases, and that. Uh, made it more difficult. And honestly, what we found in our latest survey that was uh, that was done in the past month is that the longer the uh, the remote work has gone on, the harder it is to get people back to the office. And part of that is human inertia. Uh, we get used to the way we're doing things and don't want to change. Part of it is. Um, lingering fears of the covid. But the biggest problem is the overall uh, insecurity about the state of the Manhattan business districts that uh, the some of the crime activity, particularly subways, big fear of commute. Um, So so we're seeing this combination of circumstances that have resulted in a shift. Most dramatic number in the survey is that uh, pre-COVID, more than 80 percent of Manhattan employers required their people to be in the office five days a week. Uh, Now, 78 percent are telling us they're going to a hybrid work model and the average will be three days in the office and two days of work from anywhere. Obviously, that has a huge impact on the Manhattan Central Business District on the public transit system, revenues to the MTA, uh, Mm -hmm. suggesting they'll stay down, on the small businesses that represent the retail infrastructure of Manhattan, um, it's got a big impact. Now, it has some positive impacts on neighborhoods uh, where people live, both in the city and the suburbs, where they're going out to lunch at their local Brooklyn diner rather than uh, rather than take out in the city in, in Manhattan. I'm a Brooklynite. I shouldn't be calling it the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm from
0: Queens and I still catch myself doing that too. So, you know.
1: <laughs> it goes with the territory. So yes. I, I think that they, the, that's what we've found is that we are going through a period of profound change. The biggest impact in a, is on the Manhattan Central Business District, which has been the center of our regional economy for the past 50 years. And these are the businesses and the remote workers who kept our economy going remotely through the COVID. So the big shock uh, in terms of an economic case during the COVID, is that our economy only shrank during the two years, uh, 2020, 2021, it only shrank by Mm 5.5%. And that was heavily concentrated in areas that were dependent on tourism and retail, uh, accommodations, entertainment, Broadway, et cetera. So concentrated in an area that represents a relatively small 9% of our economy. So financial services and media and technology and uh, professional services, they kept our city going. They kept us at the forefront of the global economy for two years without coming to work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, this, you you got at a real tension here that I wanted to ask you about, which is that you know from your perch, you you have to take all of this into consideration, it, it, you know, especially because your members, your membership is quite diverse in in many ways, and you, um, a, as you said, you know, in some ways, many companies and your member organizations and the city's biggest employers. It didn't really take any hit. In fact, often thrive through the pandemic. we um, were able to shift to remote work. Of course, there were many hiccups in that, but, but we're able to do it. Um, but at the same time, the firms that rely you know that 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 own and run the offices that rely on people being into the offices, you know there's some real stressors there and there's some real questions about that ecosystem and then how it trickles down, as you said to the MTA uh, functioning well and having its finances. So as you look at this landscape of this new reality of of hybrid work and the city's office sector and the city's, you know, the sort of ecosystem that it all relies on, how are you sort of thinking about this new future and this new normal? And is there any way in which you and your organization are trying to shape it a little bit differently? Or, or are these forces, you know, sort of just so baked in at this point it's very hard to shape it further?
1: Well, I think it's premature to be trying to shape it right now because we are still uh, experiencing the extraordinaryness of a pandemic. And people are, uh, you know, there's a lot of burnout. There's this thing called the great resignation, where many people have left their jobs are changing jobs, people have left the city. We did a survey two months ago of uh, over 9000 employees, the office workers themselves. This current survey is of employers, the businesses. Mm -hmm. But we did a, We went to to ask the employees what they were thinking. And 80 some percent said they were spending the next year seriously considering their future in the city. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole level of uncertainty Among companies and employees, among workers, among New Yorkers in general, there's a lot of uncertainty about what the future holds. And people are kind of watching to understand what is the impact. So I think it's premature to be making decisions about the future. What we have to be doing is understanding the strengths of what we have where things are vulnerable, but also where our assets are. So, you know, today residential values in Manhattan and rents are higher than ever. So we've got, you know, what was expected to be a real estate crisis, people deserting the city, et cetera. Um, Some of the highest taxpayers are deserting the city because we now are the highest taxed in high, highest income taxes in the country. So there has been some of that. So we're going to lose some tax revenues over the next couple years from people that decide that a no income stat tax state like Florida has is now getting critical mass of New Yorkers at the very high ends moving there. But we've also got big demand of people moving in. Uh, you talk to any tech company, they'll say, I have no trouble getting somebody to relocate from San Francisco to New York. Hmm. So you've got this interesting mix of activity. And and, and the point is, we're going through change. Uh, New Yorkers are adjusting to what post-pandemic is like. Uh, we found that in the survey of, of employees, we found that 70 some percent are committed to being part of the recovery of the city. And among employers, this survey we just did says that over 50 percent intend to increase their headcount or at least maintain the same headcount in the city. So we're not seeing a crisis there. You brought up real estate. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Ben, commercial real estate large office real estate, their tenants paid their rent even though their offices were empty. Mm-hmm. So don't shed any tears.
0: <laughs> okay. The, the, well, the
1: only the problem they're... they had was with the retailers. Mm-hmm. That is where the that's where the gap is. Not can... with the major office employers.
0: Mm-hmm. We did see this this concerning, you know, re-estimate around property values, though, that that affects some of the property assessment. taxes. Taxes. Yes, exactly. Yes. But so, that's,
1: that is limited. And we're that's not being balanced by the new buildings that are opening. So the Hudson Yards buildings, the building over at uh, one Manhattan West, which has a couple of big tenants, Accenture, EY, um, there's been a lot of movement into new buildings. There's a lot of construction of new buildings that are going to be coming on the tax rolls. Okay. And those buildings, they're not having any trouble getting 130 bucks a square foot, which is the highest commercial rents we've ever had.
0: So So that actually gets me to the question of in some of the buildings that are a little older, um, there's questions around should there be greater efforts to convert some of those buildings into housing, or, or you know, different uses, or figure out ways to renovate them? Is that something that you're keeping an eye on? Keeping absolutely. Tabs on? You, yeah. Yes. Absolutely.
1: What do you think about that?
0: Because there's there's all this logjam it seems where people want to do it, but the state and the city are not making the necessary changes to some of the zoning that seem to be needed. Um, go ahead.
1: That is, uh, I wouldn't say that. We just ha- we have a brand new city council. I think that they're going to be part of the solution. The mayor is certainly with city planning. Uh, Dan Gorodnick who led the Midtown East rezoning, is now and uh, when he was in the city council, is now the chairman of the city planning commission. I have no doubt that he's going to be able to quickly deal with the kind of flexible zoning that we're going to be needing. Um, So I'm, I'm very optimistic that we'll get that done. I think the idea of converting existing buildings is limited. A lot of these buildings are not suited for residential use. They've got a lot of internal dead space. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of tear down and build new. We saw that we've seen that on the uh, in the last couple of years with one Vanderbilt next to Grand Central with now uh, the Hyatt coming down and being replaced, RxR replacing it with a grand new scheme with uh, JP Morgan tearing down 270 Park and building a huge new million square foot building. Uh, on that site. So we, we're seeing, I mean that's the future. Okay. Uh, so I think we've got we've got a lot of positive activity going on.
0: And in your survey and and the conversations you're having, um, it seems like we're also looking at a potential. Of course we, we don't know what curveballs COVID will throw at us as you mentioned, they're, you know, we keep going through these peaks and valleys and and the new uh, surges and, and variants. But um, accounting for the for the unknowns, um, there seems to be some eye on the fall as a as a time where employers will start to ask their employees to come into those offices a little bit more. So sort of there's the, the status quo of what your survey showed, which was that um, about 38 percent of, of these companies workforces are back in the office on any average weekday um we've seen from subway ridership that it seems like a lot of people are coming in kind of tuesday wednesday thursday and and working from home monday friday um but that there seems to be an eye on september as you know a potential increase there do you think that that's what's going to happen
1: well we've thought that for the last three september <laughs> so i hope <laughs> mm-hmm. um, i hope so uh we're, the, the employers think that they'll have about 50% of people back in the office on the average weekday in September after labor day. Um, and, but there's still a lot of uncertain employers. Um, there's a big gap because again, this depends on people feeling personally secure and coming back to the office. Mm-hmm. That, um, and it's not just, getting shot. So it's not just gun violence that we're talking about, uh, although the Sunset Park subway event certainly was damaging in terms of confidence about coming back. But um, but it's about uh, are people, you know, shooting up drugs on the streets in front of you? Is there a sense of, uh, you know, are, are there homeless people lying on the seats in the train is, is it you know do you feel secure coming back? and because everybody's sense of insecurity has been so heightened by some of the things that have gone on during um, the pandemic, um, this is magnified so people may say it's exaggerated, well, it's real life. Um, you know here we are. so mm-hmm. people are hypersensitive, to uh, uncertainty and to the potential of personal insecurity, personal danger, whether it's from somebody breathing on you who has COVID or something worse. Mm. So, So a lot is gonna depend on what happens this summer. If we don't see the police get the support they need uh, to enforce the law, if we don't see success on the governor and mayor's efforts to get the homeless out of the subways and get mentally ill people into treatment and supportive environments so that they're not acting out on the streets, um, if if we don't uh, if if we don't see cleaner streets um again a whole sense that the city is safe clean coming back i mean that's all going to be part of it and if that deteriorates during the summer instead of improving we're in real trouble so i think i think the next few months we all all have to get behind the mayor and the governor, the MTA, the efforts they're making. We've all got to be working together to acknowledge that there are real problems that the city has, um, and and do something about
0: them. some progress. People. The the MTA obviously is a, is more a state creature uh, than a city one, but but in terms of uh, services and, and uh, you know, mental health outreach, police, it's more on the city side. It's complicated. There's both happening, of course. But um, the the governor and the mayor have spoken to these issues, as you've noted. Obviously, the mayor's only been in office a little more than four months. Other than mostly liking what you've heard, How are you feeling about the sort of ability to execute that you're seeing from Mayor Adams so far? I mean, you know, Bill de Blasio said a lot of really nice things, but often struggled with the execution. Um, How are you sort of seeing that thus far? I know it's fairly early, but what's your sense of whether Mayor Adams is ready to really deliver here?
1: Well... He and the governor, uh, Governor Hochul, are both putting real resources behind this. They're not just talking mental health and getting uh, a stronger police enforcement and more police presence to uh, on the streets. They're, they're they're putting money behind it, and they're revving up the troops. And I think the appointment of Commissioner Sewell is um, is very important. She uh, she is doing, I think, a very good job of um, of leading the NYPD. I've been very impressed, and she's very responsive because, um, I mean, I'm I drive them crazy with every complaint that I get from somebody who's mugged or from chronic conditions that people feel are dangerous on their corner that are preventing people from coming to work. I'm, I'm sending them right to the commissioner. And, um, and she's very responsive getting people to follow up with employers with companies they're sending police um, senior people to speak to groups of employees to tell them what they're doing to make clear that they are taking this seriously that they're on the case so i'm i am at this point encouraged with uh with what the the mayor is doing he's not just talking the talk he his people are are really working to make to make this a safer city, but they cannot do it alone. And, and they still have. Um, we got some progress on the reforms the mayor needed to see uh, in terms of making sure that people aren't just getting arrested or getting stopped for. Uh, aberrant behavior, that they're really able to do something about it. So they've got made some progress. Um, the mayor feels he doesn't have all the tools he needs. Um, I was listening to the uh, Brooklyn DA this morning, Eric Gonzalez. They got some improvements that allow them to do their job, but not enough to really uh, make a difference. cases. He said Brooklyn last year had 500 cases dismissed under the discovery laws because of um, a technical glitch mm-hmm. under the current law, because it's not practical. Some of the requirements in terms of the timing of when you have to show evidence, etc. cetera. So um, so we've got a ways to go in terms of giving them the support they need. But I think there's real progress.
0: You lead an organization, Partnership for New York City, that includes um, some of the cities and, and thus, the world's largest employers. These are uh, national, global companies. Um, what do you make of the mayor doing a bunch of this early travel outside of the city and his? Um, sort of insistence that he needs to go and pitch New York City elsewhere. That he needs to learn from other cities. Um, you know, there's there's been some red flags quickly thrown up again. You know, people a little bit traumatized, I think, by how Mayor De Blasio approached trying to have a national profile and being out of the city too much and not really focused on running the government. Um, what do you make of that? Because obviously, from your perch and and the you know companies in in your organization, there is a sense of a national and global economy that New York City is a leader in.
1: Well, I think one of the points the mayor's tried to make is that uh, crime in cities is a national problem. Homelessness in cities is a national problem. Um, And that here he's doing something about it. He's been very courageous about going after the homeless encampments. And he made an appeal at at, uh, the Association for a Better New York this week about I need support on this. he's doing some tough stuff. I think he's looking for reinforcement for showing what other mayors are doing. He brought in the mayor of London to make that point. So Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of this is to for New Yorkers to understand, we're not alone in facing these challenges. This global pandemic has had an impact on every city, and it's created new challenges that nobody's ever dealt with before—health challenges, but economic challenges, employment challenges, lots of things. So, so I think that part of it is good. Is is he paying enough attention to um, to just to sticking with focused on solving these issues? I think he if he isn't, he will. Um, I have confidence. I mean, he's still new to the job um, and I think he's feeling his way, but he has proven. I mean, he keeps saying I lead from the front. I think he's proven he'll do that. So I think the key is: Will New Yorkers support him and and unify behind him and not indulge our ideological political differences? But will we can we stand together in supporting the mayor and the governor on doing what they have to do because they've got to do some make some hard decisions? Um, and and New York has experienced. Uh, A lot of a a lot of deep problems for targeted at at, you know we 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 still are behind the country in recovery of jobs. Right, we're only at about seventy five percent with a nation that's at over ninety percent of job recovery and of the jobs lost. So there's it's a very complex situation, and I think the mayor has assembled a good team that is tackling problems that none of there's no formula. There's there's no precedent for what has to be done. So everybody's we're all making up what will work. Um, So I, I, I think I think he's doing the best that any mayor could possibly do.
0: And is there a is there a need from your perspective about, you know, sort of being an ambassador to, to lure companies to to New York City? Is that something that the mayor needs to go and do or, or be sort of the New York City brand ambassador outside the city? Is that, you know, are we at a moment here where, um, you know, there, there are there's there's companies that might be relocating or or, you know, interested in taking another look at New York City or whatever it might be from your perspective? Is that is that sort of a good focus for him to have?
1: Well, what's most important is for him to uh, reassure the companies that are already here that we're going to handle the problems that have arisen during the COVID and, um, and we're going to be successful in overcoming the issues that are problematic, particularly the public safety issues, as well as um, the public health issues, which never seem to go away. So I, th- I think that job is primarily here. At the same time, there is no doubt that our international brand has suffered greatly during the covid Hmm. Um, it's you know when when the subway sunset park subway shooting happened people were calling me and saying i'm getting calls from people all over the world saying oh my god what's happened to new york city and and now that was a that was an isolated uh unique event um and and one that you know was um was terrible but at the same time thank god nobody died um but people all over the world are seeing this as somehow an image of what all new york city is like and so i think in that sense yes the mayor has to be out there saying that is not the story and celebrating the great Mm. things that are happening with Broadway reopening and Lincoln Center planning a festival for the summer and 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 showing up at, you know, he's very good about going to conferences of global investors, for example, and saying, you know, uh, giving them a strong message about the city. And and he he delivers that very well.
0: Yeah. Interesting. We're in our last few minutes here with Catherine Wild, the president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City, a leading business group that has more than 300 members of business leaders and companies employing more than 1 million New Yorkers. Um, I wanted to just come back to one interesting piece of the survey that you just released, which is about employers identifying certain um, factors that would help encourage more employees to return to the office. Um, and, And, you know part of our conversation here is is again reinforcing the idea that maybe we shouldn't be so stuck on thinking about this and talking about this that there's sort of a new normal setting in there might be some adjustments it's a little too early as you said to sort of predict what what changes might come but but that aside along with some of the issues you mentioned about um public safety, uh, reducing the sort of disorder on the subways and and helping people with mental illness get into treatment and not be uh, decompensating on the streets and the subways. There was also a very high percentage, the highest percentage of the choices that uh, indicated a greater return to office w- would occur if it was also occurring among peer companies. And there's a little bit of a sort of chicken and the egg thing there, right? So I'm wondering... Um, is that something where you play a role and the partnership plays a role? Is that something where the mayor tries to play a role and announce some sort of joint agreement among companies, or is this something that really just needs to happen organically?
1: Honestly, it's not the companies that will drive the return to the office. It's the employees. Hmm. And so I think that it, what, what every business I know is doing is they're trying to listen to their people, uh, they're you know where it works. They're offering free food, etc. But each company is really drilling down. So this morning I was with an employer that has offices in Midtown, as well as Soho and Lower Manhattan, and they said the folk they're having no trouble getting people back to the office in Soho and Lower Manhattan. Because a lot of them are Brooklynites, they're able to walk to work or come in through the Jersey Path, whatever, but but most of them are um or bike to work. And they said there's a big difference between return to the office. The problem is in Midtown. Um and it has to do with um part of it is that Midtown is where commuters primarily come from the northern suburbs in Long Island. Uh, New York has the longest commute in the country average commute of more than 42 minutes each way people have gotten a couple hours back in their day by not coming into the office so there's midtown has particular problems and then that's where the concentration is of folks who are homeless mentally ill etc it's it's in midtown and in their transit stations there whether it's in and around Penn Station or Grand Central or Times Square that's where the Concentration of concerns and and of untoward incidents uh, with employees have happened. So, um, so I think that uh, there has to be a reality of things being comfortable, pleasant. Um, also, the new offices. Are getting people back much more easily than the older offices that are less attractive with whatever whatever don't have the same amenities you go into the new offices that have been built during the pandemic and fitted out during the pandemic they're spectacular i mean they've built coffee shops with baristas on the 31st floor so that people can feel like it's just like when they were working out of starbucks you know i mean it's a you've got a whole a whole new approach to making offices much more pleasant places to work than any place else. So that's what's going on.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting insights. Thank you. All right, in our last minute or two here, the um I, I wanted to zoom out with you to sort of the city's the city's larger future, um, housing, economic development, city planning, these are areas of expertise of yours. You mentioned Dan Gorodnik, the former city council member who helped usher through the uh, East Midtown rezoning is now the chair uh, of the City Planning Commission and and the uh, leads the Department of City Planning. Mayor Adams has talked uh hasn't released a housing plan yet, but has talked a lot about, you know, needing pushing the city to really up its housing production. Uh, He's talked about, you know, building more housing in in parts of Manhattan that he sees as underdeveloped and so forth. How how are you thinking about sort of the city's larger future when it comes to economic and housing development and planning? Um, There's, Obviously, been some of these uh, big uh, project plans like Hudson Yards in the past. There's a Penn Station uh, area proposal that's out there. Amazon was scuttled. Industry cities rezoning was scuttled. You know, the, there's this. Sunnyside Yard plan that was put out a while back that's seen, as far as I know, no movement. Um, any of the above for, for how you're thinking about sort of the city uh, and and under a new mayor and a new city planning chief thinking about, you know, planning for the future here?
1: Well, I think over the past decade, there's been a lot of damage done to not having a strong pro-development community infrastructure, where, you know, in the 80s, we rebuilt the city, 80s and early 90s, uh, the neighborhoods of the city, in partnership with community nonprofit groups that had real expertise and were pro-development. They just, they knew what their communities needed, and they were they were at the table and part of the development process. Today, the to the extent communities are organized to express their interests, they're actually Actually adversaries of development or political advocates. And so we've lost a lot of the expertise and and of groups that have credibility in the community in partnering with the city and with the private in, and with private industry on moving forward, I think that's what has to be resurrected. And I think in Andrew Kimball and Adolfo Carrion uh, in the Housing and Economic Development Agencies, Maria Torres Springer as the deputy mayor in that area, including workforce development as part of her portfolio with Joey Ortiz, I, I think you've got an opportunity now to strengthen the community infrastructure that is necessary to, again, push forward growth and development in a positive way. So much of the de Blasio administration was met with fears of displacement, gentrification, outsiders coming in with big projects. Um, That. Had a very negative response in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we've got to get over. I think Eric Adams and the team he's put together are the right people to do that.
0: All right. Well, we'll leave it on that optimistic note. Uh, Catherine Wilde, President and CEO of the Partnership for New York City, thank you very much for the time and the thoughts. And, uh, and be well, and we'll be in touch.
1: Thank you, Ben. <laughs>